Welcome, change agents. I'm so glad you're here. This is Cheryl Klein, and you're listening to the Limitless Leader Podcast. Hey there, Cheryl here. Today is a very special day. We're here with Jill Ralph with The Motley Fool. Jill, thank you so much for joining. Hi, Cheryl. I am really excited to be here and talk shop. Yeah, so being the head of global membership, there's so many things that I want to talk to you about today, Um, but we're going to keep it laser focused on how to really not just build, but nurture global teams, especially now that we're virtual, as if it wasn't, you know, challenging enough before. Now there's some other challenges, but you have some amazing tools to help us through that. But before we jump in, I would love to know you know, as a young person, what inspired you? If you think about, you know, all of these mountains that you've climbed and where what you've achieved up to this point, was there something that inspired you as a young person that either propelled you to this greatness or that kind of knocked you for a loop and made you kind of have to dust off and go after it and maybe um, be really resilient and gritty? Like what has influenced you as a young person? I love that question. Um, and as a parent, a relatively new parent now, I'm reminded of little sound bites and moments from my own childhood that I think lasted and stuck with me longer than I realized. They were kind of deeper inside. But there is certainly one um, at the age of that has influenced my whole life and will continue to influence the rest of my life. Uh, but I think it's part of what makes me me. Uh, and that was at the age of nine, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes, which is essentially an autoimmune disease. Um, And it meant throwing my whole world upside down for a little bit um, and learning what it meant to be a diabetic. Um, I had never even heard of it at the time. And so uh, I think what it did was, uh, and my mom and dad remember it this way too, that I never wanted help. I just wanted to be able to do it myself. And so I wanted to learn at age nine how to um, test my blood sugar or give myself an injection Um, and so I think that just has guided me and kind of instilled a little bit of, like you use the word grit. I I think it's grittiness. Um, I don't take myself too seriously, but I take my health seriously. Uh, and it's just been a thing that I'm not going to let it slow me down. Uh, and I do, I'm assuming most people have, um, similar, not the same, like hopefully not autoimmune diseases, but similar, um, experiences or things that have happened to them that have just lasted and um, maybe were hard at the time. And being a type one diabetic is not easy, um, but it is part of like my routine and it, and it's part of what is kind of make, makes me me. And so, you know, I'd like to ask you about that a little bit because when we were talking earlier before we came on live, you said that everyone seems to have a thing, you know, I mean, a thing that might, seem at the first outset is being negative or hard or difficult or like maybe a barrier, you know, that being a type one diabetic could have been for you as well. So, you know, for anyone, do you have any advice for people, especially for, you know, um, people who are aspiring to be leaders now? Because a lot of times, and I don't want to throw us women under the bus all at the same time, but we're good storytellers. And sometimes we make up reasons why we might not be um, 
able or capable or worthy of applying for a job or a position or speaking up or something. So can you speak a little bit how that you turned what might've been a setback into a superpower? Sure. And um, I think, I mean, a key part of my personal approach as well as approach in the workplace um, is know thyself and know who you're interacting with, whether it's a team of one other person or a team of a hundred people all around the world or a team of thousands of people. Um, and so uh, I know about myself that I prefer to be in situations where I kind of don't know where I'm, what I'm doing and where I'm going at the beginning. I like it. I've described it in the past as I'm, I'm more comfortable in the uncomfortable. Um, and I think it's because I'm just curious about the difficulties that come with assembling humans around problems to try to grow businesses. And so um, don't get me wrong. I'm always nervous. I am, I think, the duck that looks so calm and cool, but underneath those little feet are, are doing that. But I've just kind of, um, I don't know. My, my, my actual advice would be take a deep breath. Um, try to understand yourself in terms of what you know about yourself um, what you don't, what you, what you, uh, would like to learn and do, um, and jump. That's kind of my, my advice is, uh, one of my really good girlfriends one time gave me, I was having a soul searching point in life and she gave me this little bracelet that said leap and the net will appear. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. And so, um, actually it's a fun story is I've now re-gifted that. And it's kind of making its way around the world to different women mm -hmm. who might need that advice and that confidence to just leap. And so um, I just know about myself. I get complacent and I get bored. And so um, I have personally made a career. It has wound itself all around the world in multiple different industries, um, none of which I would have expected years ago. Um, just making those leaps and just raising my hand or, or being tapped on the shoulder to say, Hey, I'm interested in maybe I, a way I could go help that team or help that business unit or go learn a thing um, that could be beneficial to me as well as to the, the company. Mm -hmm. so speak up and just leap is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you can find those jumps where you feel it's going to be like soul food and it really intersects a, a personal passion with a professional um path or, or, you know, those are the magical spots. Uh, and so if you can find those and you think you're, you're kind of standing on the edge of, of one of those, I think that's even more powerful. Like that's, those are the jumps I would take 10 times out of 10. Mm -hmm. So that's a great, great thing to keep in mind. And it's just, um, so just don't hold back. And I think people understand and they still, feel a little bit uncomfortable kind of I like to say when they're being called for more like maybe when they're feeling that uncomfortableness um, lean into it or leap into it um, and so I now want to kind of transition into you know your head of global membership for the Motley Fool uh, I've done an incredible job there and you're probably doing this before subscriptions were sexy or popular or, you know, whatever they seem to be right now. So now that, um, 
you know, our teams, whether they're global or local, if there's a team at all, they're now virtual for the most part. Can you share a couple things that we could keep in mind to build them, but also nurture them along? Sure. And that's very broad, right? And so I can, I think I could take this question in many different directions. Um, the workplace is certainly different now. Uh, and if any of, of your listeners and viewers are recruiting, you know what I'm talking about in terms of the, the volume of applicants as well as the type of applicants coming into roles right now. It, it's very interesting. Some you're going to get thousands and some you're going to get five, right? Um, and so, and everyone essentially is work from home or close to, which is a different thing if you're talking about hiring for culture and who do you expect to see around the halls and walls of uh, headquarters, what, what, you know, that, that's a different thing now. But one of the things that we are investing pretty heavily in the Motley Fool is onboarding because it just is a different, it's a different ball game right now. You can't sit in meeting rooms the same way and you can't walk a new, a new hire around the company to, to help them feel the company, feel the culture. Um, and so, uh, and we don't want to slow down their progress and their entry into our company. And so um, that that's taking more investment and time up front to make a more concrete um, and kind of tactical plan to connect people around the company um, so that they can really embed themselves um, in not just their day-to-day -day role, but know who, who to talk to and where they work um, across the company. Um, so that's one. I think there's another one that is, people may laugh at this, but I think it's pretty, pretty darn important. You've got to have an agenda for your meetings now. <laughs> we can't do the let's walk outside, walk and talk and go to Starbucks and like brainstorm. You can't do that right now. At least we can't here in Alexandria. Um, I know different parts of the world different levels of kind of COVID restriction, but you've got to make a valuable agenda if you're going to book people's time on Zoom, right? And so I've always been a huge fan of an agenda, but I think I feel them even more now. I feel the importance of them. And it's a small thing, but I think it's an important thing. Uh, leave time at the end for your new fools. Sorry, I say fools. Sorry, I'm so coded to call everyone a fool. <laughs> <laughs> your new employees, your new team teammates, um, for the oh, there, there's the dog. Uh, for them to um, ask questions or have those like pivotal key moments that really matter to ask a question after a meeting that's gone, because we're like, okay, great, everyone, good, all right, check, and we, you know, we turn off Zoom. We miss those moments to connect, ask questions, and I really think that. Um, that can accept can ex help or hurt uh, everyone's ability of like who's who said they were doing what and next steps and follow through. Um, and so we're trying to carve five or ten minutes. It's a small thing, but five or ten minutes at the end of every single meeting to try and um, just wrap that up and help people um, move things along. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just that five, just that few minutes after the meeting sounds like can be really helpful. And is there anything that's different between, you know, um, building and nurturing a global team versus a team that's, you know, just here in North America? 
I mean, there's certainly differences in talent pools, um, in job pool, job and application um, processes around the world, uh, in openness for remote work and relocation. And so um, for our, our global businesses, we are hiring in pretty much every entity. Our, we're starting to indicate a preference to hire in the US, which I think probably is a reaction to COVID and probably will be short, short-lived short or shorter-lived, um, but it's because we're seeing our ability to onboard um, and, and ex- continue and accelerate the way people come on board um, a little bit faster. It also just gives us more flexibility to move um, if anyone's running a global business out there, you know you can't move an employee from country to country the way you can move move an employee from state to state here. There's all sorts of rules, tax laws, liabilities, costs um, associated with it. So uh, I don't know if Cheryl, if that was a helpful answer to your question. Um, I'm happy to go back at it if it wasn't. No, no, that's good. I'm just wondering when it comes to Let's just talk about the relationship building. Is there something that you can recommend, um, whether, like I said, it's global or it's not global? Like one thing that I've seen in you know doing trainings with global teams is that sometimes there's an incongruence or m- misunderstanding. For example, certain parts of Europe they don't understand like some things about the U.S. Um, and so there's kind of some miscommunication. Um, so can you speak to that a little bit, how to, um, really get everyone really on the same page and really cohesive? Uh, yes, there's this book, it's called the culture map. It's written by, um, Erin Meyer, I believe is her name. Easy read. It's certainly written, I would say for Western eyes and ears. Um, however, it has some fascinating, tidbits and kind of self-awareness. Hey, Americans, you do this, whereas French do this, whereas Chinese do this, whereas Australians do this, right? And so um, I would strongly recommend people read that book and just kind of maybe calibrate or recalibrate a little bit. Um, I think uh, know your audience. So as an American here running global businesses, I know if I'm talking to the team in the UK, um, some of the things to say and how to say them differently than if I'm talking to the team in Australia or the team in Japan um, or the team in Germany or the team in Canada, which, you know, for the most part, we are, we're essentially speaking the same language. But um, I do think it's important to know know your audience in terms of who you're speaking to and how their language, not just your language, but like their language, their norms. Um, Americans are head nodders, right? We not right. That's a thing. Um, in my experience, I worked I worked in London for three years. Brits aren't head nodders, and so little things like that. Where as Americans, we're expecting like we're looking around the room, waiting for where are those nods of agreement with my ideas or what I'm presenting, and not getting that. Um, and so, <clears throat> excuse me. I think it does really just start with um, some awareness, um, and then from a corporate level, it's more just knowing knowing what your hiring strategy is, if you have one, um, and whether it is truly global and you're set up as a company to have multiple entities in multiple different 
countries on con and continents, or if it needs to be more, more centralized. And I do think the world is shifting to be a little bit more, it's being forced to shift to be a little bit more um, uh, global friendly, we'll call it, uh, mm -hmm. in terms of where your workforce is, how you pay them, et cetera. Yeah, so that sounds really super important to know your audience. And I know before we got started, I said that I wasn't gonna take a Q&A, but I have a question that's been brought to my attention. So if you don't mind, I'm gonna throw it out there. Let's do it. Okay, awesome. So we have a listener, his name's Ryan Cardiff. And he says, hi, Jill. So he's watching on LinkedIn. Hi, Jill, I'm an avid listener of the Motley Fool podcast. Awesome. And really enjoy them. What strategies do you and your colleagues use to attract such high energy employees and foster such cohesive teams at The Fool? Oh, Ryan, I love that question. And thank you for listening to, um, I, you did, it didn't say which podcast, but it, whichever podcast it is, um, I love, I love that you're a listener. And I love those moments where you um, get to connect with people who know The Motley Fool in some way. So uh, I can take very little credit for what our incredible um, recruiting agency or recruiting group within the Motley Fool does, but uh, I think we we screen for culture as well as lots of different um, attributes, right? So we do, and this is not nothing necessarily um, unique. However, when we look at 500 or a thousand applicants for a role. Maybe we look for a fun cover letter or something that's just a little bit unique that can stand out. And then when they're pre-screened on the phone, uh, we're looking for, we, we call it foolish. We are the Motley Fool. Um, we look for Motley, right? So unique, different, fun, curious. I mean, everyone has their own, um, their own uh, kind of, I don't want to call them biases, but their preferences, right? When they're, when they're um, responding to a cover letter. Uh, and so we do put we do a long a long day of interviews, and we're not just interviewing for skill set um, and kind of we'll just call it technical ability. We're also interviewing for like the jerk factor, right? We don't want to hire jerks. Um, we are certainly interviewing for diversity and inclusion, um, and so we're creating the panels that are that are diverse. Um, and it's just kind of I don't know. I think. I think we do a pretty good job at the Motley Fool for hiring pretty amazing. We call them fools. We're all fools. Um, so it all starts with that recruiting team. And we have an amazing team of recruiters at the Motley Fool. Yeah. And I think uh, I've done a lot of work with Sherm. And I just think that we can't give too many shouts out for how important those uh, recruiting, those recruiters are. So thanks for the question, Ryan, and thanks for taking that on the fly, Jill. And then, you know, since, you know, my area of expertise is, you know, mindset, mental toughness, and high performance, of course, I have to ask you the question, you know, what is something that has allowed you to get where you are, what mindset, and then even more importantly, you know, we were having a conversation earlier that you wish that you could advise your younger self. So if you were to give some advice to, you know, the mid 20s, Jill Ralph, or to other folks that are in that age right now, in terms of their mindset, what would you say is most important? Oh, I love that question, Cheryl. And, if, you know, hands tied having to pick one. Um, 
So at The Motley Fool, we have a bunch of core values. And um, one of them is competitive. And for a while, there was a giant poster on the hall, in the halls of The Motley Fool with my face on it. And it said competitive. Uh, and I, I had mixed emotions about that. On one hand, very pr proud. And on the other hand, a little bit embarrassed. But I am fiercely competitive. And it's mostly with myself. So that mindset thing is, if someone tells me I can't do it, or even if that's me telling me, ooh, I don't know, like that role that that role you're reading about that you want to apply for, Jill, really? Can you do that? Like, that's a thing for me. It's a trigger for me. Are you like it? It means like I'm gonna go figure out how to do that, and I'm gonna stretch myself back to like being comfortable in those uncomfortable zones. So. Um, I think it, it is kind of rooted in competition for me, uh, but it's really competition with myself. And so I think tying to competition, if I were talking to 24 year old me, um, I think I would tell myself, um, take those jumps, have faith in yourself. Um, and certainly bring as many women and people, uh, minorities um, disadvantaged, bring them with you if you can. Uh, and so I feel like I lost 10 years of my life easily to, to not having that kind of awakening inside. And so now, like we were talking about, um, I just feel really compelled to help, um, help women and help minorities and help kind of bring more equality to Teams, businesses, the world, <laughs> salaries. It just kind of like it just balloons and balloons as I think about it. So I think um, I think that's what I would tell myself. Yeah. So it sounds like be confident to go for it and also be mindful of taking others with you. Uh, and maybe others that, you know, I wanna I wanna really shed some light on that because a lot of times that there are certain people in certain populations that they they have these opportunities, people pull them along because of the family or the area that they're in or they belong to a country club or whatever, they might get into the school or get the recommendation to the job or get the other things, which is amazing. But there's so many brilliant, brilliant people that may not have those kind of natural um, environments that have these opportunities. So I really appreciate that you brought that up, that as you are going for it and as you get traction, that to really reach out for some of the brilliance that from people that may not naturally be in those environments or communities or situations. And I think, you know, the ripple effect of if we can be mindful and strategic about doing that, um, especially with other women, but especially with women who are further marginalized within our gender. 100% Cheryl, and I think that can feel suddenly daunting to do. And so take little steps. Like, I mean, it's, it is a cliche, but I do, I really believe change starts with awareness. And so at your, your level, at whatever that level is, um, look around. Right. Like look around. At, it's a bad example right now. But who's taking notes in the meetings? Mm -hmm. uh, who's on your interview panel? Right. So who's actually on your team? 
Um, how are you paying the, the women versus the men on your team? Or, you know, again, like there's so many ways data can guide, um, can guide us here to, to try to remove some biases. However, I just think if you're just aware um, and you start with awareness, we can, we can chip away. Uh, and like, and, and these types of experiences are amazing to connect with other women um, who are trying to help, help one another and help, um, like you said, the marginalized among us or not among us. Yeah. And um, so I really appreciate all of the amazing things that you're doing and also spending this valuable time what I just wanted to recap a couple of the amazing things that you said, and that is to really get comfortable in the uncomfortable and go for it and bring some others along with you. Maybe those who are marginalized like women, but also there's a lot of folks that are marginalized within our gender too, and to be very strategic and mindful about going about doing that. And I could see how <clears throat> that could be really amazing at having change when it comes to nurturing and building our global teams, if we can do that as a company as well. So thank you. Summary. <laughs> so, <clears throat> excuse me, let me know if I left anything out. And I appreciate your time so much. I look forward to continuing to follow you. And also for anyone who is interested, you can see on the ticker that's scrolling, be sure to go to uh, fool.com to check out some interesting things there. And also you can hear about the podcast that Ryan brought up and it sounds like there's more than one. So for your daily dose, be sure to check that out. Jill, thank you so much for your gems of wisdom. Truly appreciated. Of course, of course. And for anyone out there, I also, I would welcome a LinkedIn connect. Um, I believe in the power of community and network. So uh, if you're out there and you want to connect, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. I second that motion. So connect with Jill and I. Thanks so much, Jill. I look forward to continuing the conversation. Of course. Thank you.